Good morning, everyone. So, eyes to see this morning, ears to hear this morning, hearts to perceive, to receive, to understand. That's the prayer of of what I I hope to share with you. Uh, So, Lord, we do. We ask you that. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, come right now in power and minister to us through your word. Let it come alive. Let it engage our hearts. We choose to say right now that we're going to have open hearts, open hearts to you, open hearts to what you want to do. Uh, we lay aside anything that, that we may want to do or, or think is important. Right now, we set our hearts before you. and We say, Father, here we are. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I, want, I want to share with you today... Uh, a message about receiving from the Lord, but setting ourselves, preparing ourselves, setting ourselves in place to be able to receive from the Lord no matter how he may come and show himself and reveal himself to us. Well, I think we can all, all agree, all of us have different levels at which we're at right now with the dynamics of our heart. What do I mean by that? We're all here, and we're worshiping the Lord. So there's already an, an openness there. But, but I think we could probably admit, I know I can, that there are places in our life where we've maybe locked some things uh, tight. Uh, maybe we've created some boundaries in our heart towards God. And it may be based off of perceptions that the Lord wants to correct and redirect and reveal himself in a different way than maybe what we've believed him to be. It may be areas of, uh, you know, character building. It may be areas of faith, trying to build our faith. It may be areas of dealing with things in our lives that we need to yield more to the Lord if we want to embody the idea of being transformed into the, to the very image and glory of Christ Jesus, which I know that's our heart. Is that your heart today? I know it's my heart to be more like Jesus, right? And we need the active ministry of the Holy Spirit in us to do that, but we also have to set ourselves in place to receive it and to recognize it. And so that's the heart of what I want to talk about this morning, eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to fully embrace it. Um, So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 13. And as you're turning there, um, I want to share with you uh, I was in prayer several weeks ago in the morning, and, um, and I'll, I'll go more into why I'm sharing this now, but I was praying about something, and I felt this little prompt that the Lord was putting his finger on something inside of me. Um, and I, I knew the Lord was doing something, but I thought, ah, that's just kind of a crazy thought. It was more corrective uh, more discipline in my life. I, I, I could sense it. So much so that I, when I first initially heard it, I thought, that's insecurity, that's my own hang-ups. God wouldn't approach me that way and want, and want to do something in that area. I know that's silly, but that's pride, right? And so I tested it. I said, Lord, um, if what I'm perceiving about myself in this area is correct, then take me on a journey. I want you to confirm it in three different ways this morning. Now, when I pray, 
I know there's a lot of different ways God can speak to us, but one thing that's been very helpful to me in my own personal prayer life, from my own perspective, is to ask the Lord, I feel like it's easy for verses to pop into my head. And I don't mean verses that I've, I've memorized, but scripture reference numbers. And it's been years um, since I was a teenager that the Lord has spoken to me, more times than I can even count or put into a book. Amazing testimony of the Lord speaking that way. And you know, it's just one of those things you feel, you sense that, you write it down, then you open, and then the Lord just reveals in an active, powerful way and puts his finger on it. Well, I asked him to do that three times. The first verse that I got, again, not without any kind of connection in my mind, just hearing the verse reference, I go to it, and it exactly addresses what I thought, what I perceived was happening. So I said, let's test this out, let's do two more times. And I know we do this with the Lord. The Lord can do whatever he wants, but he's gracious and he's a good father. And he, he decided to go on this journey with me. We don't want to put God in boxes. We know that. But he's a good dad. He's a good father. So I went on to the second verse. Sure enough, same kind of confirmation. And it wasn't one of those things where I was like creating all this really ethereal, ambiguous connections. It was very clear. So I thought, uh-oh, this is starting to get more real what the Lord's doing. And I went to that third one. And absolutely was the same thing. And I knew, that's three times, Lord, you're showing me this is you. Okay, I have to yield to this. I have to submit my heart to this. And, and that prayer time was amazing. Laura was there, and I shared, and, and I talked with her about uh, what I felt the Lord was showing me, and she prayed over me, and it was powerful, and I felt freedom, and I felt God's Father hand Amen. moving on my heart and, and unlocking some things that for years... Um, that had been there, that were connected to being, you know, back in my childhood. Powerful, powerful encounter with the Lord that way. So how can we set ourselves up to experience God that way? The correction of a loving father. The discipline of a loving father. Correction, discipline, we're going to get more into that. Those are hard things for us to talk about. But so necessary in the Christian walk with the Lord. We need it. We need it, and, and I would say even that we lack it. I, I know I do, but we lack it, and not only that, but I'm talking to you about a very personal experience I have with the Lord, but this is a one another kind of thing. This isn't just for me and the Father. This is us walking in the love of Jesus, learning how to do this with each other, Amen. and we're going to get into that, and I think that can be a tense thing because so oftentimes we see it exemplified in the wrong way. But the scriptures are very clear how we can walk this out with each other. To encourage, we love that word, but as, as we study some of these verses, there's a lot more than just encouragement. There's getting into a person's world, and in that moment, with the love of God, committing to support and help them and be the voice that they need to help pull them up to a higher place. It's an awesome opportunity. Um, all right, so Matthew chapter 13, verse 13 through 16. Now, this is coming off of when Jesus was spending time talking in parables, parable of the sower, which we know very well. And his disciples are, Jesus, what's up with these parables? Why are you using these parables? And so he shares a little bit about why he does that. He also references Isaiah 6, 6 9, uh, which, which is powerful. It's pretty much in here, um, but you can go back and study that more. That's actually coming off of 
Isaiah having that holy, holy encounter, holy, holy, holy encounter with the Lord, and the coal being placed on Isaiah. It's, it's an amazing thing. You could go back and study that more and see how that relates to what we're going to talk about here. Um, and it does in a powerful way. So this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. That's right there. Uh, is some mysterious stuff. He's, he says it. Look, while they see, they aren't seeing. While they hear, their ears work, they're not hearing. Therefore, and they do not understand, therefore, I use parables. Doesn't that seem odd? It's like, okay, if they, don't, if they can't see it and they can't hear it and they can't understand, now you're going to bring in a parable which could potentially cause more confusion right? And make it more difficult for them to understand. But we're talking about Jesus, the master sower, the master reaper. He knows exactly what he's doing. None of his words that he gives uh, fall flat. He doesn't use his words flippantly. He doesn't just say, well, these guys don't get anything. I'm going to give them a parable. I'm going to tick them off even more, make them mad so they can't understand. No, he's very very strategic in what he's doing. Let's, let's look more at that and, and why he's doing it that way. So we can see here, he says, uh, he, he, he throws back to Isaiah in chapter, I'm sorry, verse 14. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull." With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their hearts, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. He says it and states it very clearly. They are coming and approaching life with closed hearts. He says it. He didn't close their eyes, and I know we could probably get into all kinds of theological stuff that I, I don't dare want to touch right now in terms of hardening the heart and all that, but Jesus says it very clearly. They have closed their eyes. They have closed their ears. Their ears have become dull. So they have set their heart in a place that's not conducive to receiving the voice of God, and the activity and ministry of God. So parables become this ingenious way for God to reveal motives and to convict of sin and to turn hearts to the Lord. How many parents in here? When confront, <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, let me see your hands if you're parents. But how many, how many let me ask you this. How many parents... Uh, in this room, when confronted with a situation where you knew you were going to have to um, help your child in a corrective way, get to a place where they were no longer stuck with behavior or whatever it may be, and knew that if you just lay down the hammer and bring the words of truth, it's probably going to crush their hearts. They're going to fold in and they're not going to receive it. So you decide to do it in an indirect way with maybe... An example in your own life, 
or a story. Now, I like to tell stories. You can ask my kids. Don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass any of you this morning. I'll embarrass the ones that are at home that didn't come. Um, I'm joking. They're watching too. Uh, but let's say there's a situation, and I know I could just lay it down the way it needs to be laid down because I had the experience. I'm the father. I know I can just do that, but I sense something that resistance, whether it's in their mannerisms and the way they're, they're posturing themselves, that this probably is not going to be received. Let me tell a story. And I'll create a story all based around the point I want to get to. And I cannot tell you, sweetheart, what do you think? How many times does it get quiet? And though I may not really fully know what's going on, I can tell there's a receptive there's a receptiveness to that situation because of the story, correct? Now they have to, and it's coming right off of knowing. They know something's up, um, but rather than bring the hammer, I bring a story. And in that story, the point is very clear. This character did this, right? Which sounds a lot like what this child of mine just did. But in allegorical terms, of course, um, and cool character names and plots and setting and all that good stuff. Because <laughs> that's be good, right? If it's really good, they'll remember it. And if they remember it, they'll take that lesson with them for the rest of their life. And they'll think dad's cool or dorky, which I'm sure is probably both. But they, start, they now have to start connecting those dots and drawing a conclusion. Is what dad, I like dad's story, Hurrah, the hero's really cool, but the hero was stuck here. But oh, what an awesome arc. The hero comes out and, and, and does the right thing and is changed in, in the process. Now they have to say, huh, what, what do I do with that? Is dad making a point? As they get older, they, they get it a little more, and you see the eyes roll. But that's, think about that approach versus just saying, you screwed up, go to your room, you lose this privilege, this and that, whatever, right? And I know there's moments for those. Truly, I do. Um, but this process is an amazing process that Jesus models in his life um, and in our, our individual history with the Lord, I'm sure, uh, where he gets us to a point where we can start drawing the conclusions ourselves. We can start processing the information, and we get to the point where we have to say in our heart, do I want to be closed in my heart? Do I want to be blind? Do I, I can see, but do I blind my eyes to what I know to be true? That's powerful. And that's why Jesus is doing that. But listen, he also, his, his uh, disciples are saying, but you know, why do you do this? They want to know. Listen to what he says about his disciples. It's amazing. And I believe it's where we are in this room. Um, in verse uh, 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The blessing of an open heart is the manifestation of the kingdom of God in a powerful and glorious way. They were seeing it firsthand with the ministry of Jesus, 
fulfilling his calling. They got to be part of that. They got to see it firsthand. For us, it's moving in the ever-expanding kingdom of God in powerful ways where we don't just get to observe, we get to partner with the Lord. Blessed are our eyes because we see. Because our heart is set and open to the Lord. So now the Lord can do amazing things that take root. Remember the parable of the sower. That take root and produce the activity of God in our life. But how we set our heart is important to that. And thank God for parables. I, I know in my life there have been things when um, the Lord kind of did this walk-around approach with me rather than just letting me have it. And I wish, I wish I could give you an example. I probably have a million of them. But you know, when you're a knucklehead, I'm a knucklehead. Um, Ted will tell you that, actually. Um, when you're a knucklehead, you, you uh, can miss things that are obvious. And God will reveal things in certain... Let's, let's say, for example, let's say you have a really hard time with generosity and giving, okay? How would a good parent approach that? How would the God of, of all eternity approach that? Well, I know I've had experiences my, where my heart is enlarged in giving because God has lavished on me gifts from out of nowhere, right? So all of a sudden... People are giving, and you're like, what? What is, what is this? What's going on? And God's trying to get to your heart to be a giver, and the way he's getting to your heart is by having people lavish on you. So now, if your heart is open, you're confronted with the reality. This is how people really, truly love and follow the Lord. They, they give themselves freely. I need to do that. I want to do that. Look at what it's producing in my life. How much of a blessing, right? And so now... We're confronted with it in a way, like a parable, where we can draw those conclusions rather than God you know, bringing a prophet and saying, you are a stingy, greedy person, Jeremiah, and you're not going to have any blessing in your life because you don't know how to give. That's one way, right? I like the other way. Um, I will say, and I'm not going to give details. Ah, maybe I should. When I was... 16, I got saved when I was 15. I was saved from a bunch of mess, as most of us are. I did not have the kind of family growing up the way that my children have. Um, so I had a lot, a lot of baggage and messed up stuff. I was in a situation, I was leading worship for my youth group, and again, I don't want to give details, but I was in a situation where I was clearly out of the will of God, clearly doing something I should not do. And for those of us that would say God would not call you out through a prophet, it's not true. Not true. I just got done leading worship for this powerful youth event, and this prophet had come from Michigan, and this guy was accurate. R.E. Joyce. I don't know if you're out there, R.E. Joyce, but rejoice, but that was his name, Bishop R.E. Joyce. This, this man was incredible. He could read your mail so fast and you're just like, how does he know this stuff? Um, he was doing prophetic ministry. And a bunch of youth were coming up and getting these awesome words. And I'm standing in line. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm about to get my word. This is so cool. They're all good stuff, too. All really good things. I get there. Again, I won't say what he said. 
And everyone's there, friends and everyone. My youth ministers are there. He says, Jeremiah, boom, 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 boom. And the Lord knows it. If you don't stop, boom, 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 boom. That will alter your life forever. And I was like, oh my gosh. And there I was, everyone. (laughs) It wouldn't have mattered if I was a master actor where I could kind of act. It was so clear. It hit me like a sledgehammer. It was so clear. Now, you would think that would be devastating, but that was the love and correction of the Lord in my life that had to happen that way. And thank God, in the midst of that completely, you would think, embarrassing moment, which it was, that there would be something in my heart, thank God that there was something that was willing to receive it, as harsh as it was. And I tell that story and I see people's eyes get big because everyone's like, you mean God can do, yes, God can do that. He can do that. I am so blessed it's not the norm. But for whatever reason, Father God thought, nope, this needs to happen right now. And we could debate and say, well, maybe the, maybe the prophet knew that and he should have pulled you, let's think about, you know, the right protocol. Maybe he should have gotten the leaders and pulled you aside and asked you, talked to you. It was a thus saith the Lord. And I know typically that's we, we, we need to not just jump into thus saith the Lord. And we know that in this house. It's taught very firmly uh, how to use our prophetic gifting. But again, this was a rare situation that I needed. Not only that, but check this out. So it shook me to my core. I made major life changes that complete. And I had been saved for a year, but I knew that God wasn't messing around. I knew he wasn't messing around. And it put me right on the right path. I was in tears. I went to my youth ministers. They worked with me. I had three or four other young men run up to me after that. A lot of them were in the youth band and stuff. And they're like, we just want you to know we're doing the same thing. And um, we're, we're done with it. They're, they're bad relationships. I'll just say that. We were all in bad relationships that we shouldn't have been in. They ran up and said, we're done with it. We're not going to have anything to do with it. They made major life changes. So praise God, in their lives, they had the absolute mercy of God. And I was the one that was called out and made the example of. But hey, and they did. It was awesome. And it it was really cool to see how the Lord arranged that and used it. Super humbling. Super humbling. Yeah. I'm glad I shared that. I didn't want to share that, but I'm glad I shared that. And, And that's part of the process, right? Because it, it really, it, God is good in this. I can look back all those years ago, so many years ago, and I see a loving father who loved me and rescued my life, absolutely rescued my life. You know, it's not hard for parents to want to rescue their children, right? If you think about stories, um, so many, many of us probably have stories where mom and dad come to the rescue. For me, it was my father. And I can think back when I was Daniel's age, maybe a little younger than him. I was climbing a tree. I was working with my dad. Um, he was an electrician, and he was wiring a house. And man, he wanted me to just sit there and learn how to wire receptacles and do all that crazy stuff with him. He wanted me to learn, Jeremiah, please, just come, learn this. It'll be good for you. And I'm like six years old. I'm like, why? I don't want to wire a receptacle. And the one time I was wiring a receptacle, he didn't turn the power off. So he's like, go ahead and pull that old receptacle out. So I take his, his cutters, and I just go right through the black and the hot and the common Boom, blew a hole in his pliers, sent me back. And I, I was like, 
He's like, didn't you, test the, didn't you test the receptacle to see if there was power? I said, you told me it was off. He's like, always test to see if it's live. So I carry a little probe now. I have my tester. And I'm, I don't care. You could tell me a million times that circuit's off. My little probe's going in. I'm like, mm-mm. Learn my lesson. Um, but I was climbing this tree instead of helping him. I didn't want to work with him. I didn't want to help him. And I was out climbing this tree having fun doing what kids do, right? I slipped and fell out of the tree, and there was an old clothesline uh, hook, metal hook. The hook caught me. So I fell, it dug into my chest. It was the only thing holding me there other than my cat-like claws on the tree, and I'm screaming, and I'm holding. I know if I let go, the full weight of, of my body was going to be on that hook. So I am screaming, digging into the bark as tightly as I could. And a neighbor saw what was happening. They ran in and told my dad he, he'd come running out. And he's trying to pick me like, I'm going to pick you up. You know, he's trying to explain to me the process. I just don't want to let go. And thankfully, got me off the tree, healed it. Everything was good. But my father rescued me from that situation. That was a no-brainer, right? Your kid's hanging on a tree off of an old hook. You should go help him. There's other situations like the time when I was learning how to drive up north and it was a cold, wintry night, and I hit black ice because I was going too fast, and I wasn't being smart on a country road, and I spun out and slammed into a really big snowbank, which pinned me in, hit my head on the door, and I'm sitting there panicking as a teenager, like, what do I, I'm trapped. I can't get out. I'm like, I'm trapped, I'm trapped. The snow's over the car, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Then I look and realize, oh, that, I can go out that door. So I just <laughs> I crawl out. It was so dramatic. And I crawl out, and I have to walk through snow, and there's no, I finally find a home. I don't know how long, I, I wish I could tell you it was miles, it probably wasn't. But I did find a home, and it was real late at night. And I call, and I say, Dad, you're not going to believe what happened. And he had to come out and not just help me, but pull me out of the snow and figure all that out. And, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't excited or happy, but um, there was another time when, I think I've shared with you last time, about my grandmother's farm. She had 180 acres, and there's this beautiful place where I would go up to pray all the time, like an apple orchard, and I would pull my guitar out and just sing and worship the Lord under these trees. Well, one night I went up there really super late, and I had a Jeep Grand Cherokee, and um, probably Ezra's age, 17 or 18. And I say to myself, there was places up there that were old uh, fields that were not plowed anymore that they used to use because they had cattle. They were... Um, uh, a dairy farm way back when, uh, and not at the time. But I thought, I'm going to go way up there. I've got a Jeep. It says, you know, four-wheel drive. Of course I can go up there. There's no, not going to be any issue here. So I went as far as I could go, and it was pretty far, up, way up into the fields, uh, out in my grandma's property. And then I just got completely stuck, so deep where the frame is stuck. Everything is just covered and buried in mud. And, of course, I don't know better, so I just start spinning the wheels and I'm just thinking, the more I spin these wheels, I think eventually this will work because it's going to carve it out and I'll be able not very smart. So I was stuck. And this was probably 1, 2 a.m. So um, I had to get a hold of my dad and go down, walk all the way down to my grandmother's home there and, and call my dad. He definitely was not happy about that and had to come in and pull me out of that situation. But he did. He came and he got me. And he did what a, what a good dad should do. Now, if our, and I hope for you, you have experiences like that for the people that love you and raised you, 
Um, I think we all have those. Um, but if we could say that about those who are so filled with weakness and compromise and sin and issues and baggage, what can we say about a loving God who will come down from heaven and split the earth in order to rescue you? What can we say about the love, the perfect love of God and how he will reach into your situation and rescue you and give you a heart to understand, eyes to see, ears to hear? He'll stop at nothing to do that. And I know we have stories of that. But let's go to, um, so we're talking about, uh, it's not, it maybe isn't easy to receive from the Lord. We want to have the hearts that are already set and established that way. But we're also talking about God's correction. It's one thing for God to rescue out of a situation that even if it was due to kind of ignorance or things you did, a good loving God rescues you out. What about the situations where we know or maybe we don't know, but need to know that we've allowed ourselves to believe some lies. We've allowed ourselves to act out in sin in ways that obviously are not lined up with the goodness of God and what he has for us. How can we receive correction? And are we able to receive correction from the Lord? And can we see that correction as love? That's the question. John 9, and I won't read all of it, but the story about the blind man that the Lord used spit and, and clay to heal him. Let's go there and talk a little bit about that. Okay, so we know this story really well. About the man that was born blind, and that's really important to understand. So Jesus, as he passed by, John 9, verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that, it was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And we know the story. He, he uh, turned to the man. He, he made this mud pie out of his spit and, and dirt on the ground, put it on his eyes, and told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man did this, and he was healed, blind from birth. And in this story... The Lord is establishing that there are things, God-given obstacles, that may very well be ladders for new places or new heights or new levels, new places of glory in the spirit with the Lord. So there are some things, I think you can agree, there are some things that the Lord places directly in our life as an obstacle to keep us from doing something that he doesn't want us to do. I pray that way. Lord, open, and I'm sure you do, open the doors you want me to go through Close the doors you don't want me to go through. You're a good father. You're, you know what's right for me. So I surrender and I just say, Lord, make it happen and I'll obey. So there are things that he places as obstacles that we have to recognize. That's an obstacle from a loving God who wants to steer us the right way. 
But then there are obstacles that he wants to use to build in us, to elevate us if we will say yes to it, to establish his plan in a greater way. Are we open to seeing those types of obstacles? And here, this man born blind had that type of obstacle in his life, a God-given obstacle that was meant to be an invitation if he had an open heart into a new place of glory with the Lord. Imagine if this man had a closed heart and you have somebody you don't know because you're blind and they're packing mud that they spit in and thankfully he didn't know Jesus spit in it. But that could be really perceived as a really rude, um, you know, uncompassionate type of act, right? And Jesus was very strategic about it. We know that. But he's putting mud into his eyes. If his heart wasn't open, can you imagine? What are you doing? Get away from me. Don't touch me. How can you abuse a handicapped person, Um, right? But his heart was open. Once Jesus started speaking to him, he was open. Like, sure, you know, I don't know who you are, but yeah, what? I'll go wash my eyes. He kind of had no choice, right? Um, His eyes are dirty, so he's got to wash. And that was precisely what Jesus was doing, giving him this beautiful motivation to go do the act that would bring deliverance in his life and give him sight. So Jesus was setting him up to succeed. He was putting this obstacle, and he was using the mud as 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 a beautiful picture of what was happening in that man's life. He could have turned and said, God did this to me, born blind. God did this. God, you could have given me sight to see from day one, and you didn't. You put mud in my eyes, right? He didn't. Who knows how old he was? He was maybe younger. If you read the story, you can kind of see, but still, I mean, whether it was 15, 16, 17, 20 years, 25, 30 years, This man was born blind and had it all of his life. But Jesus did something like a parable, right? He didn't just say, you're blind and I can heal you. You feel bad for being blind? You want me to fix that? He took him on this elaborate journey. Stay with me as I pack mud into your eyes. Let's watch how the glory of God manifests and unfolds in your life. And it does. And it's beautiful what ends up happening. Um, So... What areas in our life could we be missing and almost taking a place of accusation or just questioning, God, why why would you do this? Why are you doing this in my life? Where you feel, remember the, the, the Pharisees, the religious, the hypocrites had the mentality that was, I don't need to see what this man is trying to show me. I don't need to hear it. I'm already at that place. I know these things. I don't need to hear it from some guy I don't know who I don't trust. What places in our life could we be saying that, even if it's as minimal as possible, what areas have we locked where we we say, you know what, I don't get this. I don't know why God would do this, and this doesn't really seem, I don't think that's God. God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't act that way. He wouldn't work that way in my life. And we're missing a very real breakthrough that we could have because our heart is not tender enough to receive that God does work this way in our life, right? So, um, listen to this. I love this. The Pharisees, so after, you know, the man is, is healed, he goes on, um, and obviously, uh, P, 
people find out about it. The story gets out. The Pharisees call him in. They want to know what's going on. And he explains to, to them in, um, I believe it's uh, uh, 25. Let's go to verse 25 of chapter 9. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. Because they were trying to say Jesus is a sinner. Um, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They still don't get it, even though he's explained it. They see it, that he can see. They, like, interviewed his parents to make sure he wasn't lying. And his parents were like, no, he was blind from birth. He answered and said, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples, too, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. You see that? We know better than him. We're actually from Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, well, here's the amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. What things in our life do we not know are from God that are meant to open your eyes in a new way? Jesus confronts them, and basically they start saying, are you like judging us that we can't see? And he says in verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Look at the attitude of their heart is we see. We follow Moses. We know what you're talking about. We have the authority there. We see it clearly. And Jesus says, because you even have that attitude, it proves you are blind. So how can we not be blind to receive what God wants to do? That's the question. If you'll go with me, listen to the teaching in Hebrews. I want to hit Hebrews 12 first. I'll kind of speed it up from this point just to kind of show um, how we can start aligning our hearts to receive what the Lord wants to do for breakthrough. Um, so Hebrews 12, 5 through, through 12. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Sons and daughters, right? That's who we are. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved. Everyone say reproved. reproved. We're going to get back to that. Do any of you use that word in your uh, daily uh, uh, language, in your vocabulary? When's the last time any of you used reproved? Yeah, so we read that. Reproved, yeah, good. Scripture, let's move on. Let's dissect that so we understand that because look at how important it is, the emphasis here. And trust me, I love the translations. Um, I'm not saying that. I just want us to understand the words that he's saying. Nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And then look at this in the same verse. You can't separate them. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Powerful, powerful language that we cannot ignore as believers if we say we are the children of God, but we can't say we are reproved, disciplined, or scourged by God, then I would ask, are we really children? And if that is not happening in some extent in our lives, then I want to encourage you, join the knucklehead club. And you will quickly find out how often God wants to do this, and you will be amazed, you will be blessed, you will be free, you will be empowered, you will be strengthened, you will be strengthened, you will be filled with love in this process. Why? 
because it's a loving God that knows how to do this. Then maybe we'll learn how to do it properly. If we don't do that, if we aren't receiving it from the Lord and we try to do this process with others, good luck with that. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be productive. So, moving on with this. Verse 7, I love it. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Powerful. Verse 9, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. We agree. But sorrowful. So make no mistake, when we're talking about discipline, we're talking about a discipline that should hit you and shake you, confront you, and produce in you this feeling of, "Uh uh-oh, if you don't have those uh uh-oh moments with God, you're missing out on a beautiful process that the Father wants in all of our lives. So, yet, to those who have been trained by it, trained, does it happen once? No. Twice? No. Your life should be a beautiful testimony of the loving discipline of your father. You should have a history of that, trained by it. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Therefore, put yourself in a position that can receive this beautiful ministry of your father to set you free. Very quickly, um, Tim, 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4, Paul admonishing Timothy on how he should teach, how he should be bringing this to the people of God so that they know that this is how Father God wants to deal with his people. Paul says this, um, 2 Timothy, just lost it, sorry, here we are. Verse 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, everyone say reprove. Reprove. Rebuke, everyone say rebuke. Rebuke. When was the last time you used rebuke? Maybe that we used that, probably, you know, at least we could maybe said we used that once in our lifetime or whatever. Reprove, that's a tough one. Exhort, everyone say exhort. With great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Remember those words. Let's move on to the last one I want to bring um, your attention to. And this is from Jesus, and this is beautiful. Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove. Everyone say reprove. And now Jesus is using the word. And discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Therefore, be passionate, be filled with excitement about embracing this side of God. It is the power that will unlock your heart to give you the grace that you already have to 
to activate that grace to actually be victorious in our sin, to actually be victorious in our weaknesses, to actually scale, climb over, leap, and fly over the obstacles that God's placed in our life, to be victorious that we already know we are, right? We rule and reign with Christ. He wants us to rule and reign our hearts. And this is how a loving father does it. So let's hit those words real quick. Reproof. If you study the, the Greek um, to understand it, because to be honest with you, that's what I did. I, I read reproof and I thought, I don't know if I've ever used that word. I, I've read it so many times. It's not that. I've seen it. And that's why. I think you kind of just accept things because they're there. And as a good you know, son and daughter and follower of Christ, you say, yeah, reprove, yeah. Wait a second. I don't think I can even use that word. So I went back and looked it up in the Greek, and it's incredible what you start to learn. Convict, bring to light, expose, find fault with. And that, those were the positive aspects of reproof. I thought I'd give you the positive. You can go read it yourself. Because people would say, well, God doesn't work that way. It's not love. That's not loving to do that, right? Not so. Jesus said it himself. And Jesus said, bring the light. And that's what he was telling. Remember when he, when he um, healed the blind man? That's what he said. He said, I have come into the world to bring light, to expose. And expose is part of this, that we see reproof. But Paul is telling Timothy to teach this way and to minister this way. So now it goes from just Jesus ministering to us. We not only should be receiving that, we should be operating in this. Operating in it. The way Jesus operates in it. And I could tell you, I'm not there. I want to be there. But we have to study it, receive it, open up our eyes and our ears. Look at rebuke. To honor. If you read it, to honor. Rebuke is to honor. Now, rebuke can be used. Jesus rebuked demons. Do you think he was honoring demons? No. So the type of honor, he's saying, I'm going to step out of the moment right now that I'm doing my work, and because you're making so much noise, I'm going to honor you with my wrath. I'm going to honor you with my attention. Now, the attention I give you will not be like the attention I give my son or daughter. But if that's what you want, then that's what you have. Rebuke. You, Jeremiah, living in these things that I notice, I am going to turn towards you, step into your world, and honor you with the love of a father. Hear my word, son. Rise up. Listen to the next part of rebuke. Prophet someone to raise the price of. You say it, we say it, calling someone up to a higher place. That's rebuke. Rebuke should be calling someone up, saying, this is not you. You are valuable. Your price is here, and you're living like you're here. Right? A father knows how to do that. Father says, son, I know who you are. Rise up and be who you are. Bringing value, right? We can do that to our brothers and sisters. If we have the heart of Christ, if we have love, if we don't have love, it's that hard sledgehammer truth. Good luck with that, right? Exhort. There's another one. Exhort. That one has a little bit of a better 
Exhort. All right. Exhort. Yay. Exhort. Beg, plead, implore. Again, you know the demons did this to Jesus. I exhort you, son of God, do not, you know, do not torment us. Throw us into the pigs. I exhort you. They were pleading. I, I just think we kind of have these, uh, these views of these words that don't give us really clear understanding of it, right? Call to one side. So in other words, if we're going to do this for each other, I know the Lord does it in our lives. He knows how to do this. He's the master at it. But we're also talking about being able to do this for one another. If we're going to do this, we better be committed to getting down alongside and into that person's situation. If you do it from the, up here, right, that's not exhort. Exhort is down here. I love you. You can do this. You can do this. I plead with you. You can do this. Your life is more precious than what you are thinking right now. And this is what the Lord has for you. Please, in comfort, in understanding, in empathy. That's exhort. It's beautiful. I think a lot of, yeah, that's a good one. Let's do that. Right? Okay, the last, the last thing I'm going to uh, leave you with this. Second Samuel. A launch, I guess. It was a, it was a rebuke. Should I stop? Um, all right, Second Samuel. Real quick, because I know we're there on time. This story, I love this. I love the story of David here. Absalom was his own son, rebelling, violently trying to take the kingdom. So David just says, you know what? I'm just going to step aside. He's the king, the rightful king of Israel, and he steps aside, lets his son do all of this horrible stuff to take and pull the kingdom from him and to usurp him. And now he's trying to find refuge. So as he's feeling dejected, I'm sure, or whatever, and he's moving and wondering, you know, what have I done to bring this? He probably knew there were certain things for sure that happened, why this whole thing happened. We don't need to go through all that. Um, but clearly, he knows this was his fault, and now he's walking away from it, and he's handing himself over to the Lord. And listen to this amazing story here. So uh, chapter 16 of 2 Samuel, verse 5. When King David came to Baharim, behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei. That Shimei is connected to the root Shema, you know, Shema to hear. So even his name, if God doesn't speak to, uh, to you through these kinds of things, then you're not really open to what God's doing. Look around. This person's name is saying, listen, David, listen, listen, Shimei, the son of Gera. He came out cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of the king of David. And all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Thus Shimei said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed, worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into, hand, into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, Curse David, then who shall say, Why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, 
my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now, this Benjamite? Let him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. So David and his men went on the way, and Shimei went along on the hillside parallel with him. And as he went, he cursed and cast stones and threw dust at him. The king and all the people who were with him arrived weary, and he refreshed himself there. I think he refreshed himself because he yielded and surrendered to the Lord in this horrible moment. Any of us would say there was justification if not to kill the man, at least to put a good whooping on the man, right? He didn't. I'm not going to touch what's happening here. He's wrong. He's wrong, David. You're the king of Israel. Who is this dog that he would revile you? And David's saying, look, I know what's going on between me and God. Perhaps the Lord, talk about open heart. Are we open to that interaction? Are we to argue that God did not do that? He went from that place and was refreshed in the Lord. Are we to argue that God wouldn't take a 16-year-old and air his dirty laundry for everyone to see? God can do whatever he wants, but are we open to that? Are we open to receive what he does because humble hearts that receive discipline and correction are humble hearts that are lavished in the love of their father? And I want to be that way. I want to recognize the Lord's activity. I want to recognize everyday moments. I want to stop and say, Lord, what are you speaking to me? I thought it was this. That's my perception. But I hear this, and I'm sensing this, and I'm seeing this. What are you doing? Learn to recognize the Lord's activity in everyday moments. Pray and ask this. We ask for the will of the Lord. Are we asking the Lord to correct and discipline? We should, and then we need to learn how to be open and sensitive to it. It could come in all these different ways we just shared, right? It could come in a way that makes you angry and mad, and you would say, God, God wouldn't be okay with this. God wouldn't be okay with a man giving me a left hook in the parking lot because I took his parking spot. I clearly can use self-defense, and I'm going to show this guy why he shouldn't have done that, right? (laughs) Or slow down, stop, be quiet. Why did you just punch me, sir? Because the Lord told me to do it, right? (laughs) That man has a story over there, something like that, right? So, and thank, thank, yeah, anyways, thank God that wasn't me, that, because then I'd have been a fool, and I'd be like, and I'd have been destroyed, right, Ted? Ted would have destroyed me. Um, Anyways, that's a little story. You can ask him about it. But God can come in so many different ways, and if we're not open to it, we miss the activity of a loving father in our life. So correction and discipline is actually a sign of God's great love, a sign of his great love. It brings freedom uh, from the things that we're actually struggling and wrestling with. And lastly, as the uh, team comes back up, I will turn it over to uh, Pastor uh, Tony and go from there. But I just want to leave you with this, a psalm that I love very much. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. I would say if we make that our prayer, the Lord is faithful to give you eyes to see, faithful to give you ears to hear, faithful to give you a heart to perceive, receive, to understand what the Lord is doing. 
Make that your prayer, if there be any hurtful way in me, Lord. You know it. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Amen?